Welcome to this week's share on Parshas Tazriah. The Parsha share is uh, on this week's Parsha. Um, it's been a difficult week. We've unfortunately lost 11 wonderful people who have been killed by terrorists in Israel. And we daven for their neshamas and we pray that there will be no more terrorist attacks in Eretz Yisrael over the coming days and weeks. And let's all say Tehillim and make sure that we are concentrated in our tefillos, in our davening, to uh, daven to Hashem, to pray to Hashem that there shouldn't be any more harm caused by terrorists, by violent, vicious terrorists and violence in Israel. Parshas Tazria is an interesting parsha because it deals essentially with a, um, a type of illness, a sickness, which doesn't exist today. And in previous years, I've discussed what that illness was and why it no longer exists and what Chazal had to say about Tzoraas. Today I'm going to look at my grandfather's Sefer, Mikdash Halevi. He looks at various different aspects of Tzoraas through quite a different lens. I think you'll find it fascinating. I think you'll find it very engaging. And there's a lot to learn from Parshas Tazria and Metzora, which is next week's Parsha, which isn't directly in a way related to Tzoraas and yet it, um, it gives us information about how we should behave as Jews. And even though we no longer have uh, Negat Tzoras, we no longer have this illness, this sickness that can afflict us, we can still learn from aspects of it because it's in the Torah and clearly the Torah is timeless. So if Parshas Tazria is a parsha we must read, and we must learn and we must know about, then there are obviously lessons for us in Parshas Tazria that we can take home with us and we can take into our own lives. So the, the, uh, the Parsha about Tzoras begins by informing us that there could be this uh, incidence of a type of a patch that will grow on your body and there's different shades of white that it might, uh, it might contain. And those details are not what we're going to be covering today in the Shir. And what do you do if you find that you are afflicted with this particular sickness? And whatever Tsaras was, they clearly in those days knew what it was. You must go to Aaron the priest, Oyel Achad Mibonov Hakoenim, or to one of his sons, the Kohanim. In other words, the person who deals with this is not your uh, doctor, not your internist, not your uh, um, skin specialist. It has to be the Kohen. He is the one that's going to address this situation. Again, it's not going to be the rabbi, it's not going to be the president of the community. It's going to be very specific. The Kohen is the, going to be the arbiter of who uh, has Tzoras and who doesn't have Tzoras. If, if a patch appears on the skin of an individual, they would make a beeline for the Kohen, and until such time as they have a diagnosis, they don't have Tsaras. If they are diagnosed as having Tsaras, then they have to go through the various seclusions and, uh, and uh, you know, they have to be michutz lamachne. They're going to have to go through a system of penitence that will get them out of that situation. Also, in previous years, we've talked about why somebody would get negatsaras, why they would be afflicted with this illness. And the most famous example, of course, is the one that we find in the Torah. Miriam Hanaviah, the sister of Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron HaKohen, had 
Tsaras, and the reason seems to have been is because she discussed Moshe Rabbeinu behind his back with their brother Aharon, and that was considered Loshon Hora, and as a result she was afflicted with Tsaras. But there are other reasons, as I've spoken about in previous years, and you can check out on my website the Shi'urim I've given in the past on Parashat Tazria and Metzorah, as Chazal give us other reasons as to why somebody might be afflicted with Nega Tsaras, and it's not important for today. Today we're going to talk about something else. We're going to begin with the sequence as it appears in the Torah and why, according to the Mikdash Alevi, that sequence doesn't make sense, at least uh, if we look at it uh, without understanding it. And then he explains how it does make sense. There's a, it's a certain type of Tsaras which appears on the skin of the individual who gets that illness. And then you have a different type of tzoras. It's a tzoras that can affect your clothing. Suddenly a patch appears on your clothing. There's a third type of tzoras which can affect the walls of your home. Suddenly you've got patches of tzoras on the walls of your home. And says the Mikdash HaLevi, we know for a fact that the first stop in punishing an individual is not the person's body. That's not where the affliction will begin. That's not where, as it were, a punishment or a consequence of one's actions will start. The first thing that will be affected uh, if your behavior isn't up to standard, is going to be your material possessions, your money. And only if you haven't done proper teshuva, that's when your body will be directly affected. In which case, it would make most sense to say that the first um, thing that will be affected by Tsoras, if you're going to go the sequence, it should begin by affecting a person's home. And then if he doesn't do Teshuvah, it would go on to the next stage, get slightly closer to the person, it would affect his clothes. That would make the most sense. That is the progression that would make sense. And if the warning of having it on your, on your home and then on your clothing, if that warning hasn't been taken seriously, only then only then will your body be afflicted by this illness, by Tsaras. If that's the case, I mean, that's what would make most sense in terms of the progression of Tsaras, then we're going to be very, very surprised to hear. Why is it that the Torah begins by discussing and describing the Tsaras that affects a person's body? Makes no sense. Only later on, if you look at the parasha, it begins with Tsaras of the Guf, with the, with the affliction that affects a person's body. Later on, the parasha Tazria talks about the Tsaras which affects a person's clothing. The Ilu Tsaras. And only the next chapter actually deals with the tsaras, this um, crazy illness that affects you. It's a spiritual illness, as we're going to see, but it has physical symptoms. Only uh, after, later on in the next chapter, do we deal with the tsaras that affects people's homes. So it's in the wrong order. 
says the Mikdash Alevi, it doesn't make any sense. Surely we should reverse that order. Because the order that we have it in, which is uh, body, clothing, home, should be in the reverse. First it should be the first one should be the home, because clearly someone's material possessions should be the first thing to be affected by Tsaras, and only then subsequently it should talk about the Tsaras that affects a person's clothing, and only at the end, if those warnings, as it were, haven't been heeded, only then it should be the one that affects a person's body, uh, affects their skin. So clearly, there's a message here. The natural order that we would have expected is not the order that we find in the Torah. Therefore, we need to understand, we need to unpack why it is that we have the wrong order from the one that we might have expected. And the Mikdash Alevi is going to now explain to us exactly why this reverse sequence actually makes much more sense. The first thing that is going to be affected is going to be the goof of the person. That's the first thing that's going to be affected by Tsaras. If you're going to get Tsaras, you should know your skin is going to be the first part of you that's going to be affected. But you know what? It's not going to immediately affect you in a part of your body that is visible. It's not going to be on your face. It's not going to be on your hands, because those are the two most visible parts of your body. It's going to be in a place where no one can see. So, you know, now have the choice whether to reveal to anyone uh, that you have Torah. So you don't have to go to Aaron if he doesn't know about it. He's not going to know by Ruach HaKodesh, the Kohen, isn't going to know by Ruach HaKodesh that you've got Torah. So it's, if it's in a hidden place, no one's going to know. Why? Because you are able to cover it. You wear clothing and therefore you're able to cover the Mokoim HaTorah and no one knows about it. Oh, so you didn't take the warning. Okay. Now, if he does teshuva, let's say he didn't, he didn't yet go to the Kohen, but immediately he sees the Tsaras, it's somewhere on another part of his body that can't be seen, he, he does teshuva. And he does all the things that he needs to do, he goes through the process of penitence that he needs to go through in order to have done teshuva. That's a wonderful thing. Ulam imloi, but if he doesn't do that, what's going to happen? Suddenly, his hands are going to have tzoras on them, and his face will have tzoras on it. It's going to be his, his hands that has the tzoras, now everyone can see, now he can't hide it. Mm. Oh, well, maybe he can. If he goes through the teshuva process, now that he has the Torah, he reflects on what he's done wrong that caused him to get the Torah, goes through the process of teshuva. Uh, very, very good. He's clever. He's got a wonderful pair of gloves. He says he wants to wear the gloves. It's a cold winter. And he puts his gloves on. No one can see his hands. You think that you can hide your tzoras? Not really. Because suddenly your clothing will get it. Ah, you think you can change your clothing? Don't worry, it will come on the other clothing. Hashem is cleverer than you. Hashem is giving you chance after chance after chance. And you are now trying to outwit God. It doesn't help. It's not going to help you. It began on a hidden part of your body, went to an exposed part of your body, now it's on your clothing. 
He can't hide his clothing because whatever he wears is suddenly going to have this patch of tzaras on it. There's even then going to be people who don't get the hint. And instead of doing that which they need to do in order to go through the teshuva process, you know what he's going to do? He's going to stay at home. And he's going to say, I'm, I'm just, I just need to be isolated for a week or two. He's, he thinks it's going to go away. There's another version of Taras. It's going to be Taras on the walls of your home. You can't hide it. Everyone's going to walk into your house. He's suddenly going to see the Taras. A person's home in their house is suddenly going to have these massive patches on the wall. I don't know whether it's internal, external, whatever it is. People are going to notice that the shade of his house has changed dramatically. The only way he's going to be able to get rid of that tzaras is to, is to get out of his house and do what needs to be done. Unfortunately, the house will be knocked down and you'll have to get rid of it in order to do teshuva. That's quite drastic. That's a dramatic measure. Uh, that you'll have to take in order to get rid of the Taras. Now we understand the progression, we understand the order, the order makes much more sense. That's where the Torah begins with Taras of the body. Uh, why? And that's the first thing, that's the first part of you that is going to be affected by tzaras. You know why? Because at that stage you can deal with it. Maybe you can deal with it quietly in a way that no one's going to know. Uh, but you, it's, if, you, if you don't deal with it at that stage and you allow it to progress, if you allow it to go on, if you don't deal with the tzaras, suddenly it's going to be affecting your clothing. Oh, it's going to be harder. It's next in line. And then only at the end, the final one, the next chapter one, is the Tzoras Habotim, the Tzoras that's going to affect your home, your house. That's the final stage, that's the final straw that uh, is really going to tip the balance, hopefully get you to do Teshuva. So you see, says the Mikdash Alevi, even though the order doesn't naturally make sense in the way that we understand uh, uh, the the method by which God deals with humanity, with the Jewish people, usually affecting their possessions before he does something to the person personally. In this case, he gives people a chance by reversing that order, by doing the goof first and later on doing the begodim and finally doing the botim. Continues the Mikdash HaLevi with this same theme. If we're going to really try and nail things down and understand them properly. What do we see? It says, There's a phrase that's used in the introduction to Tzara'as in Parshas Tazria. So we see that this word Odom is an unusual word. It doesn't appear too often in the Torah with reference to a mitzvah. There's only three occasions where we see it appears. That's what the Mikdash Alevi is going to tell us. Only three occasions does the Torah use this phrase, Adam Ki. What's the first place that we find it? Beginning of Vayikra, beginning of Sefer Vayikra. It says, Daber al-Bnei Yisrova Adam Ki Yakriv Mikem Korban Hashem. 
in talking about people who bring karbonos, who bring sacrifices in the temple, if there is a person, Adam ki yakriv, if there is a person who brings close, who draws near through karbonos to Hashem, brings a sacrifice, mina behema, mina boka, mina tsoin, etc., from the cattle, from the sheep, and from, uh, from the um, animals, from the cattle, and from the sheep, Hasheni, the second mention of Adam Ki, where is it? This is where it's the second occasion, the second time this phrase of Adam Ki is brought in the Torah, is mentioned in the Torah, is in the parsha dealing with Torahs, while the third occasion is as follows, it's in Sefer Bamidba Perikutes, Zois HaTorah, Adam Ki Yomus Ba'oihel, a person who dies in the tent, and we have there all the laws relating to how one should connect or actually disconnect from a dead body so that you don't get um, tome, you don't, uh, uh, you're not somehow contaminated, ritually contaminated by being connected to a dead body, to a corpse. So the three occasions are somebody brings a carbon, somebody who gets tsaras, and somebody who dies in a tent who is now dead. We find a distinct difference between the three locations where this phrase Odom Ki is mentioned in the Torah. The beginning of Parshas Vayikra, we're talking about Karbonos. How does it say it? What does the Torah write? Odom Ki Yakriv Mikem Karban. A man from among you who brings a sacrifice. The word mikem, from among you, from your midst, that brings a korban. That's the first mention of Adam ki in the Torah. It doesn't, when it talks about tzaras in Parshas Tazria, it doesn't say Adam mikem. And similarly, when it comes to talking about a mace, a corpse, and ritual contamination, tumor relating to c- contact with a corpse, also s- doesn't say Odom Mikem Kiyomus Boihel. Doesn't use the word Mikem. So, what the Mikdash Halevi is going to do now is going to find the unique aspect of Korbanois versus the unique a- aspect in um, a corpse, in Odom Kiyomus Boihel, and through that, going to uh, drive forward a beautiful explanation as to why the same phrase is used in introducing the Parsha to do with Tzoras. The Nira Levaris Advarim, and let's explain these, these, uh, uh, this issue as follows. Odom HaMakriv Korban. A person, Odom, who brings a Korban, who brings a sacrifice in the temple. What, what is he doing it for? Why do people bring sacrifices? What is the purpose of a sacrifice? Well, the root of the word Korban gives you a clue as to what the purpose of sacrifice is. Harihu, chelek mi Yisrael. He is a part of Klal Yisrael. He's a part of the whole. He is, you know, there is a united uh, group known as Klal Yisrael, as the Jewish people. And Knesset Yisrael, we sometimes refer, it, refer to it as. There is this concept that we're part of a much greater whole. The more he comes close to Hashem, 
through bringing the carbon. The idea being that he wants to be part of the Jewish people. He doesn't want to be, let's say, affected by an Avera. He doesn't want to be disconnected from the Jewish people or from God. By being part of Knesset Yisrael, he comes closer to Hashem. How do you connect even stronger, more strongly to the core of the Jewish people, to the soul of the Jewish people. You do it by bringing Karbonis and also El HaKodesh Baruch Hu, you connect yourself to God. He is not separated at all from the general, from the, from the broad um, Jewish people. He is totally part and parcel of what it means to be a member of Klal Yisrael. He is a part of the greater whole. And that's why he brings the carbon, and that's what happens when he brings the carbon. That's why the word mikem is, is mentioned in this context, because in your midst, he is in the midst of the Jewish people. He brings a carbon and he becomes even more in the midst of the Jewish people. That's the unique aspect of carbon, why this phrase is used, but in uh, it's correlated to the word mikem, so that we understand the message that is contained in the phrase. As opposed to Adam a person who dies and goes to Shamaim. Now his neshama is in Shamaim. Is his neshama connected to the Jewish people? How can it be connected to the Jewish people? It's no longer part of this physical world. It has um, exited the body and it is gone to the place that we know as Shamaim, to the base Olam. It can't be considered part of the Klal if it's no longer in this physical, in this material world. That's why you can't use the word Mikem about a person who dies. You can't say that the person from your midst is no longer in that, in the midst of Klal Yisrael, in the midst of Knesset Yisrael. That being the case, the word Mikem is omitted. Because through his death, via his death, as a result of his death or her death, they are no longer connected to the land of the living. He's not part, she's not part of the general population now separated could say that it's part, the neshama is part of Hashem, is in Shamaim, whatever you're going to say, but no longer part of the Klal Yisrael that it was a part of before the neshama was no longer here. So we have this contrast, the Odom Mikem that brings the carbon and the Odom that's not Mikem that has died. And now we can understand, we, we, through this contrast that we have uh, that we have explained here in the Mikdash Alevi, we can understand the relevance of the Ki Odom without Mikem when it refers to a Matsura, somebody who has Tsoras. Shekein Hine Kvar his we've already mentioned. What is the process of Teshuvah for the person who is stricken with Tsoras? He has to go Michutzla Machne, he has to exclude himself from the machne, from the encampment, from the community, from living among other people. He has to separate himself, he has to distance himself from the klal, from the general population. Do you know why? 
So the main reason, as we've already discussed, is that he spoke Lashon Hara. He engaged in tittle-tattle. He engaged in slander. He engaged, engaged in chatting uh, needlessly and, and uh, in, a, in such a way as to diminish uh, the person who is, like him, part of the klal. But it somehow feels better than that person, feels that he can say things, he can judge that person and spread the rumor, whatever the rumor may be, about that other person. He thinks he's, he's a cut above the rest. He's not like that other person that he's speaking. You can judge him. Why? Because he, he is a paradigm of perfection. He's a paragon of virtue, and the other person is evil, wicked, whoever, uh, whatever you're going to say, whatever that person says about their, essentially, their equal. And yet they don't consider that other person their equal. They consider themselves to be on a uh, madrega gavoya, on a higher level. So that's why, as it were, the Torah is telling, is telling the person. You know what you should do? You're so choshev, you go mechutz lamachne. Do you know what? You're so wonderful, you're so special, you're, now you're going to be extracted from the community at large, you're going to be separated. But after all, you're on a higher level, you can't live with those people. Sham Targish Mibudod Mehako, he's going to suddenly feel, he's going to be isolated. No one likes to be isolated. I think we've lived through that. We know exactly what it means to live in isolation. It's not a pleasant experience. Do you know what's going to happen? As a result of your isolation, you're suddenly, and, and you're going to know the reason why you're isolated is because you spoke Lashon Hara, you're suddenly going to understand, well, actually, there's great benefits in living in a community, and all those people I criticize, well, they're not so bad after all, because I miss them. I want to, you know, I can, I can think whatever I want of them, but the truth is, I'm not that misanthropic that I don't want to live in the general population. I don't want to be separated from everybody else. So whatever criticisms I have, you're going one has, one's going to see, if one has tzoras, that, the, that it's not as bad as all that after all. You're not going to see the, the, um, whatever defects you may think they have, and it's not going to be that important when you miss them. After which you'll finally be worthy of being included in Klal Yisrael, of being included in the general population of the Jewish people. So that is the purpose of, um, of, uh, uh, of Torahs resulting in isolation from the community. Ah, so now we're going to see the theme makes sense. Odom ki mikem applies to carbon, not mikem applies to mace, and which side of the equation is Torahs on? It's going to be closer to mace than it is to carbon, right? Because mace, the reason why it can't be mechem is because you're no longer part of the land of the living. You're not part of Eretz HaChaim. That being the case, suddenly we see what the impact of Tzara'as is. By having to go into isolation, you're not part, as it were, of Klal Yisrael, of the Eretz HaChaim. You've been separated, and that's going to teach you the lesson that you need to learn. Me'ata bor, kikam legabe metzoyra, gam legabe mehametzoyra, leishach leima, Adam um, Mikem. You can't say the word Mikem from the midst of the people when discussing someone afflicted with Tsaras. Why? He has deliberately separated himself or herself from the Klal as a result of which they have been 
separated, isolated from the general population. It's not part of the job. We are, we're separate, we're different, we're better, whatever it is that you think. So that phrase, Odom Ki, mentioned three times in the Torah, has a key message has a very important message, has a profound message to us as to which side of the equation we are on when we deliberately speak ill of others and we consider ourselves to be a cut above the rest. We'll continue um, in the Mikdash HaLevi. A very interesting halacha that's brought in the parsha, discussing, describing a tsaras that appears on a person's body, but curiously enough, it only appears in the place where that person had already had a boil or a burn mark. You know, if somebody has a boil, a very bad, uh, it's like a red patch on their skin, and it's already getting better, but in the place of that boil, there is now a patch of tsaras. Or if somebody burns themselves, and that burn is now getting better, and in the place where that burn was, the scar tissue now develops a tsaras patch. So the Torah deals with this. It's an interesting kind of sidebar halacha with regard to tsaras. Is it considered tsaras and how should we deal with it? Says the Mikdash HaLevi, Yesh Labar, we, we should really try and understand why why deliberately did the Torah include, it's, it seems kind of irrelevant, or something that we can extrapolate separately. You know, if you have a Mishnah, Torah Shabbat Peh, we could talk about a Michveh, or we could talk about, um, we could talk about Shechin. We don't need it to be in the Torah. So why was it included in the Torah um, that uh, a boil that develops into Taras or a burn that develops into Taras is to be treated like Taras? Because generally speaking, this is not a regular occurrence. It's not something that's going to occur regularly. In which case, it seems curious that the Torah would include this particular halacha. Venira Loima says the Mikdash Alevi, perhaps we can offer the following as an explanation. Do you know what? The Torah deliberately includes this because it wants to teach us an important lesson. Actually, it's, it's, it's much more than you think it is. Not necessarily the tsaras, but the shechin and the michveh is a much more common occurrence. It's something that happens fairly regularly in human life. Who hasn't had a boil? Who hasn't had a burn mark? So everybody's had one. So what's the Torah trying to tell us? Says the Mikdash Alevi, do you know what it's trying to tell you? You might think it's a regular occurrence. It just happened by accident. I just happened to spill some hot soup on my hand. Or I just happened to get a boil. It just happened, you know, whatever the reason is, the medical reason that you get a boil. It's just something that happened. Yeah, it was a bit painful after a week or two it went away. Or whatever, it was It was burst deliberately or it burst, it burst on its own. Whatever the case may be, you might think to yourself that the shechin or the michveh is just some, some naturally occurring phenomenon on the human body. Says the Mikdash Levi, no, no, there's no such thing as an accident. If you got a boil and it's painful, there's a message being sent to you. And if you got a michveh, if you were burnt, 
then there is a message that's being sent you, whatever that message may be. Now, by the way, this has got nothing to do with Tsaras. It only has to do with Tsaras or only learning about it as a result of the Tsaras, but the message it contains is as relevant to us now when there is no such thing as Tsaras as it was when there was an affliction known as Tsaras. Because when something happens to a person, there's no such thing as random. It's deliberate, it's there to teach you a lesson. Uh, uh, this is a deliberate act of God. It's as we know that, um, that the, the Jewish tradition is that we believe in Hashkocha Protis. We believe that everything that happens to us is deliber deliberate. Hashem is looking into our lives personally and everything that affects us one way or the other has a message to us, is there to teach us a lesson. It's, it's a learning moment. It's a learning experience. You should know that a person will do a chait. Whatever that chait may be, they may they um, made a misstep in terms of their faith relationship with Hashem. Hashem's not going to immediately afflict that person with tzoras. That's not the first stop. That's not where it begins. Because you know what? Getting tzoras is a major event in a person's life. If that's what was going to happen, they're going to have to isolate themselves. Whatever it is that the process is, that's a major event in a person's life. It's a major interruption and it's going to be very embarrassing, etc. That's not the first stop that Hashem uh, takes. Do you know what's first going to happen? Yes, you'll get something that happens to you. That can happen to anyone. But it's going to happen to you in such a way because it it's meant to remind you. And it's meant to wake you up to, to your failings, to your faults. Whatever it is, the misstep may have been. You're going to get shechin. You're going to get a boil. You're going to get a michve. You're going to get uh, um, some type of burn. Something's going to happen to you and it's meant to wake you up. It's knocking on your door. It's trying to tell you something. There is a message. Hashem doesn't talk to us. We're not all neviim. We don't all uh, go to sleep at night and have some type of uh, a dream that informs us what it is we're doing wrong, what it is we're doing right. We get little reminders. And those reminders are actually meant to wake us up. They're meant to take us in the right direction. They give you the opportunity to do teshuva, just this little thing. It's a minor annoyance. It's just a boil. It's there to teach you the lesson that you need to learn so that you can you can do teshuva, you can do repentance. Now, if it happens that this opportunity is heeded, that you take the hint, fantastic. You know, the person's going to say to themselves, you know what, it just happened, come on. This happens to everybody. Other people get boils as well, big deal. It's not important. It's just a natural event in the course of a person's life. Everybody's had a boil, everybody's had a burn. Suddenly, in that place, just to tell you that you are making a mistake by, by ignoring it, by dismissing it, the negatsaras will come right there on that spot. It's going to afflict you in that place. It's going to occur right there where you had the michveh, where you had the shechin. So 
At that stage, you'll have no choice but to take it seriously because suddenly you'll be a Matsuira and you'll have to go to the Koyan, you'll have to go through the entire process of cleansing, of uh, purifying yourself through isolation, etc., that we've already discussed and described. So the point is, get the message early on. So it's a bit, it's similar to the first thing the Mikdash Alevi says, which talks about the progression from body to beged to house. Here, actually, there's a stage before body. It's called shechin. It's called michveh. But it's there to say, don't even get to the body tzoras. You can avoid that by dealing with it right away. Let's continue to the last piece of the um, uh, that we get. It's a slightly longer piece. The Mikdash Alevi talks about actually the whole concept of Torah, and this is a beautiful piece, it's a, a, a double page piece which you can find if you look at the source sheet that I have included in the, uh, on the SoundCloud or on the YouTube, you can see, you can print it off, you can look at it yourself. It's so beautiful, it's so well thought through and it's so rewarding and truthfully it gives us a bit of a boost as to what it is that Parsha's Tazria, which some could say is a little bit of a boring Parsha, it's not the most inspiring Parsha, you can draw inspiration from Tazria. Listen carefully. There's four things mentioned in this Pasuk that the person who is stricken with a negat saras, what should he do? He should tear his clothes and his, his, his head should be covered, it should be somehow, it, um, the hair should be covered. The asofam yate should also, uh, so he's going to cut off all his hair, so it's going to be a bit embarrassing, and he's, and he's going to cover off, he's going to cover his head, he doesn't want people to see him without any hair whatsoever. The al-sofam yate is going to cover his mouth. Um, interestingly enough, the Ibn Ezra says that Rashi says he covers his mouth because it's, it's a um, kind of a derech of avelus. It's a type of thing a person does when they're in mourning, they speak low and they cover their mouth. But the Ibn Ezra says because one of the symptoms of Taras is people have very foul smelling breath and therefore they cover their mouth because they don't want people to smell the bad breath that they are afflicted with as a result of the Taras. Whatever the case may be, the final part is fascinating. It says, the Tome Tome Yikra, he has to declare as he walks in the street, Tome Tome, says it twice. Parshiyos Tazria Matsura says the Mikdash Alevi, these two parshiyos, this week's parsha of Tazria, next week's parsha of Matsura, Isakais Shtehem Behalchaisov Shala Matsura. Do you know what they're dealing with? They deal with all the different laws, the ritual laws pertaining to someone who is um, afflicted with Tsaraas, with this very strange illness. We need to really understand, we need to take on board, we, we need to absorb the following idea very carefully, that this machla, this illness that we know as Tsaras and that's discussed in Parshas Tazria, it's not the same as the sickness that is known as Tsaras. Some people translate it as leprosy, I've seen other people translate it as psoriasis, However you're going to translate Tsaras, be very clear that the illness that we are familiar with, either by the name leprosy, Hansen's disease, or psoriasis, has got nothing whatsoever to do with Tsaras. It is a spiritual machla. It's an illness that has its roots not in some 
physical condition. It is a spiritual failing that results in a physical illness. Ba'alas symptomim gashmiim. It has physical symptoms. As a result of whatever it is that you have done, you have seen your spiritual status diminish, which has resulted in physical symptoms. It's a fascinating idea. But essentially, it's got nothing to do. It's nothing to do with your diet. It's nothing to do with your genetics. It's to do with spiritual failings. A person who is afflicted with this illness, has to sit isolated outside the camp, outside the community. If anyone comes close, somehow they draw near to him. He has to shout, Tome, Tome. He has to say that he is um, ritually impure. He has to say it twice. He has to remind himself, one Tome, and to others that he is ritually impure as matsovai, his situation, levaliskarvo elov, so that people don't come close to him and that he knows that people can't come close to him. You know what? They have to go through this process. It's an embarrassing situation. They have to do all of these things in order to create this. It's, it's kind of ritualized um, uh, um, solution to the problem. I'm an outsider. I'm an outcast. I'm somebody who cannot uh, be among other people. And they've got to do all of these things as kind of external signs that convey this idea that they are not part of the general population anymore. They're separated. They look different. They behave differently. And they have to declare, Tome, Tome, that they are impure. Ulam. The curious thing is that it's not just a machla that affects or afflicts a person. It's not just the person that can get afflicted. He can come to other things as well, as we've heard. It can affect a person's home, it can affect their clothes. So we see that, by the way, clothes can't shout out Tome Tome, nor can a house. The fact is there is a uniting theme. There is something which is a common denominator between all three, between Begodim, Botim and Odom. And that is that whoever touches the place which is Tsaras, whether it's the person, the, the Beged or the Bais, will themselves become ritually impure. They will be contaminated through touch. It makes no difference what it is that has Taras. If one touches it, one will become Tommy. Now we have to understand what this Tumah is. And actually, what the Mikdash Alevi is going to do now is really fascinating. The Mikdash Alevi is going to explain to us the concept of Tumah. What actually is Tumah? Because tumor, ritual impurity, has got nothing to do with dirtiness. Uh, you know, sometimes people think that it's got to do with being dirty. It's got nothing to do with being dirty. There is an element in tumor that needs explanation. What is it all about? We'd, and we're not sensitive to it. The reason we're not sensitive to it, as the Mikdash Alevi is going to say, is because you can't see it. 
you don't understand it. It's not something that that is apparent. You can see someone who is Tomei and someone who is not Tomei, and they look exactly the same. So what is Tumah? What is it all about? That's what the Mikdash Alevi is going to deal with in this fascinating piece. Tumah eina dovar mamashi. Tumah, this concept of ritual impurity, is not something that you can touch. It's not something physical. It's not a material thing. The koshe lahagdir oisa b'milim brois. It can't really explain it clearly. You know, if, you, if you're looking for the words, the adjectives to describe it, it's very hard. You can't really describe it. Ulam his boinanus b'chol halochis atumah. If we reflect on all the laws, the ritual laws, which... Uh, regard tuma ritual impurity. They can teach us. We're talking about something that is specifically bad. If we look at those part, those parts of our ritual which um, correlate to tuma, then we can understand what tuma is about just by examining them, reflecting on what uh, is affected by this concept of tuma. You can't always see what's bad. It's not always. Sometimes you need to be reminded of what's bad. It's not always immediately apparent. It's not within our view. We have to reflect. We have to see past what we can see in order to understand that something is bad. We can't really understand the badness in things always. You know, I, I, I'll give you a, a food analogy. We don't all understand what's bad about certain types of food. You know, fatty foods, um, a lot of carbs. We don't, we look, the food looks good, it smells great, you want to eat it. But if you're somebody who's affected by eating too much, you could put on weight, you could build up cholesterol in your arteries, that's going to be really bad for you. But when you look at the food, it looks tasty, it smells wonderful. And that being the case, we need to have this, this idea. We need to really understand it in order to get to the bottom of it. When it comes to Tsaras, that's what's so interesting. Tsaras is the one window we have into the idea of Tuma. Why? Because it's a it's an illness that occurs. It's something that's real. It's a physical symptom of ritual impurity that we don't have with other forms of Tomei, with other forms of Tumah. And we really need to reflect on that and to go as far as we can in depth to get to the root of what it's all about. Let's look at one example. If somebody um, gets into contact, is now in contact with somebody uh, who died with a with a corpse? All right, nitma betuma chamura. It's the worst type of tome that you can be afflicted with. Tumas mace is is as bad as it gets, uh, and this is really shocking. It's quite surprising, says the Mikdash Shalevi. But pashtus onu loyrayim called sadra bahanagosay shel adam zeh. What 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 did this person do wrong? The person was helping deal with a dead body. What, what's so bad about that? Why is that a bad thing? Why should that contaminate the individual by making them Tomei? It should be the opposite. You know what that person was doing? He was engaged in helping that person reach their final destination to be buried. And therefore they should be Lord. They should in fact be the opposite of Tomei. They should be given a medal 
because they're involved in one of the holiest things that a person can do to ensure that once the body is no longer functional, that it's buried underground. There is an element of negativity that engaging with a corpse will lead you to and will contaminate you. But you need to think about it. You might think how wonderful it is to deal with somebody who needs kavura, and yet the Torah wants to give you an underlying message that you might not get, but you'll get when you know that you will be affected by Tumah. You know what? When you come face to face with death, uh, it's quite shocking and it's quite unnerving and the results are going to be negative. Let's face it. If you come face to face with mortality, that's going to have a negative impact on you. You're going to think to yourself, what's the point of living? In the end, it doesn't matter who the person is and how successful they are and how wonderful their life has been. In the end, do you know what happens to a person? They die. They're gone. They're no longer alive. And, uh, you know, the cemeteries are full of people who thought that they were indispensable. But when that person dies, their life is over. And you might think to yourself, well, what's the point of living if all that's going to happen is that I'm going to die? Why should I live? The end of a person is to die. And to exit this world. Like the flower that shrivels, that rots away and nothing is left of it. The flower is so beautiful. It was the most beautiful rose and it smelt wonderful. The scent was amazing. You stick it even in a, a vase of water and you pour in the little thing that you get from the florist. It doesn't matter. The rose is dead, it's dying, and then it's going to be gone and it won't be there anymore. And that beautiful rose will be gone. And that's a person. That's a human being. We live our lives and we think we're unbeatable. We think we're going to live forever. And we think that nothing can happen to us. And then we come face to face with a dead body. It could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be somebody we don't know. And we see a human being that minutes earlier, hours earlier, was a fully functioning human being. And then it's gone. The life is gone. And it's just a body lying on the ground, lying on a bed. And that can actually mean that a person will get quite depressed. They'll, they'll feel their uselessness. They'll feel the futility of life. The fact is that with the depth of a person's heart, the, the fact is, if this is going to be the result of coming into contact with death, if, this is, if death might have this effect on a person, so the Torah wants to tell you that you're going to become Tomate. It decrees that a person who comes into contact with a dead body, a corpse, they're Tomate. That's what has to happen. Because then you'll think about it. That's not the way it is. And actually you've got great opportunities to do much more. Your life goes on and there's life after coming into contact with a corpse, even if your ultimate destination is no different than the one that that corpse uh, 
is in the middle of. The Bichtei Lenatrel Es Hashpoha Hamazika. The tumor is there for you to reflect on what might happen coming into contact with a dead body to neutralize the effect of that on the person that has come into contact with the corpse. A person who gives birth, a woman who gives birth, they are tome, either for a week or two weeks, whatever the case may be, and the, uh, the person is tome, the woman who gave birth is tome. Why should they be tome? Says the Mikdash HaLevi. She's nothing wrong. Why should there be tumor associated with giving birth? On the contrary, it should be the exact opposite. What she's done by producing a baby is the most wonderful thing that a person could ever do. It's incredible. It's powerful. You've, in, you've increased the population of the world. You're going to bring up a wonderful child. You're going to increase Klal Yisrael. There's another person in this world who's going to do mitzvahs. The opportunity, having produced a baby, is just the most wonderful, most incredible thing. Why is it associated? It, why, why is it aligned with this concept of ritual impurity? The Torah still tells us at the beginning of Parshas Tazria that this having a baby is going to create uh, the, uh, it's going to, uh, it's going to result in the mother becoming Tommy. But if you think about and you reflect on it and you understand it, we're going to really, truly appreciate what this is all about. As Rashi says, and as the Mepharshim Chazal tell us, that at the moment that a, a woman is going through the the tremendous pain of childbirth. She might say to herself, I never want to have another child. Of course, she doesn't mean it. But that in and of itself, just expressing that or thinking it is a negative thing. And that brings you into a status of Tomei. It's not that you've done something wrong. It's just that you need to reflect on the fact that there's a big difference between the way you might have felt during the actual birthing process and how you feel or how anybody would feel, both you and the person um, around, people around you who appreciate the miracle of life that has been produced as a result of this birth. The difference, the contrast between the two is something that needs reflection, which is tumor, which separates you, gives you a chance to think about what you've been through and how wonderful it is and how Silly it might be to think that actually I don't want to have more children or that childbirth was something that I went through but it's not something that I would like to go through again. And similarly, when it comes to a Matsura, when it comes to somebody who is afflicted with this spiritually um, origined Tsaras, somebody who goes through it, what is it about? Do you know what Tsaras is? As we know, Do you know why you get it? Because you engaged in Loshon Hora. You spoke Loshon Hora. You spoke badly about others. As a result of which you were afflicted with, with this. I mean, by the way, you may think to yourself when you're chatting about someone else, oh, what's the big deal? No big deal. Well, how important is it? What difference does it make? It's just words after all. And yet it's resulted in a physical symptom called tsaras 
somebody who has fallen into been somehow uh, 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 allowed themselves to fall into the trap of Loshan Hora that resulted ultimately in Saras, Bavadai Loike Bei Elu Chisronis Ashevu Le De Kach you know what they are they have it doesn't happen on its own you know what speaking Loshan Hara is not something that just happens by accident if you feel entitled to speak Loshan Hara it's because you have an inflated view of your own importance or you're busy you're jealous or you want you're in the pursuit of material wealth or whatever it is whatever the causes are there are causes which are deeper much deeper than just the fact that you spoke Loshan Hara you need to think about it you need to reflect on it that requires tumor that requires tumor that will result in separation which will bring you to a place of reflection and therefore you will correct that which you have done wrong. In order to bring the Matsura, this person who's been afflicted by Tsaras, to a place, as it were, of reflection, that person has to be isolated from everybody else. You can't reflect when you're surrounded by the static, by the noise, of the life of a community. It's not possible. The fact is we have an entire parsha. we have chapters in the Torah that deal with what it is you need to do in order to get to the situation where that reflection will result in correcting yourself from whatever it was that drove you into a situation of Lashon Hora and resulted in Tsaras. You know what? By being separated, you will, you will understand what it is that you did wrong and therefore you can correct yourself. You can be the person that you need to be. Just one example, says the Mikdash HaLevi. One of the things is, as we began, we began this piece by saying that you need to separate yourself from people. You need to tell them, Tommy, Tommy, uh, hold on, don't come too close. Don't step forward. Don't touch me because I'm Tommy. That's what you need to tell them. Because you will now feel the pain that you've caused to others by saying the bad thing, whatever it is that you said about other people. Do you know what happens when somebody... The worst thing, right? You heard that somebody said something bad about you. Whether it's true or not true, it's not important. Do you know what that feeling is like? Knowing that people have spoken about you behind your back and spoken badly of you. That's terrible. It feels terrible. You feel shy. You feel like a pariah. You feel excommunicated. Says the Torah, Midor Keneged Midor. You now must be excommunicated. You must now say, Tome, Tome, whatever it was that you were trying to cause to the other person has now come back on you. You are Tome, Tome, as you try to make them Tome, Tome. Kach Olav Likreas, God of Yesterday's clothes, the Imana Megiluach, Oitisperes, Bichte Lishper Es Gavosoi. You've got to diminish yourself. You've got to come down on yourself. You've got to bring yourself down. That's the way to express it. You've got to make sure that you are not the person that you were that said the Loshon Hara that resulted in the Tzara. 
You don't have a nice appearance, you cover your mouth, you convey this message of, I'm less, I'm not what I try to project myself to be, I'm much less. Now we understand the concept of Tumor. Tumor in and of itself is to bring you to a place of reflection. And whether it's to do with um, uh, death, or whether it's to do with somebody in childbirth, or whether it's to do with somebody who's spoken ill of others and results in Taras, all of those ritual impurities are there to give you a platform to reflect, to grow from that experience, and to become a better person. We'll leave it here for today. Thank you.